0: This episode is brought to you in part by HarperCollins Leadership, publisher of Be the Unicorn, 12 Data-Driven Habits That Separate the Best Leaders from the Rest. Written and narrated by William Vanderblumen. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with Amy Joseph, to discuss what the Bible says about decision-making and the freedom found in acknowledging we will not always make the best possible choice. And that is okay because in Christ there is forgiveness for making errors. We also talk about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, discerning God's will, and moving forward after having made a bad decision. Honestly, this is one of those conversations I found myself energized upon completion because Amy focuses on scripture and helps us see God in the tiny details of life where we often feel forgotten. If you have a similar experience after listening to today's conversation, will you share it with a friend? You can send them a text message, share it on social media, or simply share the episode in a face to face conversation. Okay, let's drop into today's episode. Good morning, Amy. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Good morning, Amber. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I am glad to be having this conversation as someone who often struggles with decision making, uh, particularly big decisions and small ones like I don't know what restaurant to go to after church. So please do not ask me. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Just make the decision. I might have one I don't want to go to and I'll let you know. <laughs> yep. Yep. We'll, we'll use process of elimination as a starting point. That's right. Well, and then my oldest son struggles so much with the decision making. And I just think, wow, you could, I can could already see the anxiety that he experiences. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, listen, we're making you make this decision because you've got to practice now. Yes. Because life is full of decisions. And
1: I think that's the thing. We know that there's big decisions. We think, you know, what, what sports team you're going to play on, you know, what college you're going to go to, if you're going to join a sorority, which, you know, fraternity, which one career choice marriage, we think of the big ones, but really our life is this incredibly complex series of decisions. And it's not always the big ones that have the biggest impact on us. Sometimes it's the small habitual things that shape us far more Mm. than the big trajectory decisions. And so God cares deeply about all of the decisions that we make. I just believe that people need to hear, understand theologically what the scriptures say about decisions Mm -hmm. and God's will, and then also know the freedom, you know, within the bounds that God has given us, he gives us boundaries for freedom, for good, Mm -hmm. for more joy in Christ, not so that we would have analysis paralysis in the corner even over like whether we should have the guacamole on the burrito, which sometimes happened to us because, um, decision-making fatigue is real, especially in the Western cultures. So it's Mm. just, we live in a first world Western world, and we have so much freedom of decision making that Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish theologian and philosopher, Uh he said that anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. Mm. And living in a culture that so elevates freedom and choice, which is a a gift, right? That's a gift. right? But the the underbelly of all of that choice is like you said about even like your younger, your son, who's just, you know, a teenager is crippling anxiety, paralyzation, and sometimes depression. If we think we've made the wrong choice or we're on the wrong track, or we've somehow missed God's best will for us and, and then living in a ton of fear and regret.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it is interesting because sometimes you just don't even pay attention to it, right? Like, you honestly just don't notice it. But before we get too far into our conversation, I do want to make sure that um, people just know a little bit about who you are, who your family is, and what you do on a day-to-day basis. So share that with our audience, and then we are going to dive into your book, Demystifying Decision-Making.
1: Yes so my name is Amy Joseph um my husband and I his name is Gijo very handsome indian man um I we live that. in yeah he's so handsome um and wonderful but we live in San Diego California with our three children so we have three boys our dog is a boy and then we have two boy housemates downstairs in an uh, ADU we call it out here uh, like a gra- granny flat type thing so my life is like completely inundated with testosterone so this Did is Did you such grow a treat. up with sisters or I grew up with sisters Isn't three that sisters funny? and all the dolls like the american girl dolls playing <laughs> pretend playing office playing secretary playing college and these boys it's like competition all yeah. the time I, I call it the San Diego Stock Exchange because they're always trading. If it's yep. not Legos, it's baseball cards, and I'm like, I can't handle it. this. Is too much conflict, and they love it. This is like joy to them, and I'm like, I just. Oh need yes, to I'm
0: very familiar. And sit quietly <laughs> in the
1: corner and do something calm. And that's right. Um, So, yeah, so we moved out here 10 years ago from the the Southeast, from Greenville, South Carolina, to start doing college ministry, specifically in San Diego, and we had three campuses, San Diego State, Point Loma Nazarene, and University of California, San Diego, and we did that, happily loved it for about nine years, and I mean, as we've been doing college ministry, we saw the need for um, some healthy awesome local churches. So a lot of our students were driving to our our hub church, which was 45 minutes away, incredible church, Um, but just not sustainable to do life that way. And so we just sensed God saying, Hey, there's a real need in y'all's neighborhood. Even there just really aren't many churches period. Um, Mm. you, You see increasingly churches are being taken over to be used for, you know, union workers or, Um, other NGOs. Yeah, there's just not churches. And so there's such a desperate need just for gospel presence uh, in places. So we have been, we handed over our college ministry to some really trustworthy friends, and we are now
0: planting a church in our
1: little neighborhood.
0: Wow. Well, I'm so, I, I love to hear that people are still actively, you know, planting churches, following the Lord and doing his work. Today's episode is sponsored by the 10 Minute Bible Hour Podcast. The 10-Minute Bible Hour is a daily deep-dive Bible podcast accessible to everyone. If you want to build consistent, thoughtful interaction with the Bible into your daily rhythm in a way that's fun and friendly and saturated with historical context, then the 10-Minute Bible Hour podcast is for you. This show is different. It works straight through entire books of the Bible, one little chunk at a time, and it does the whole thing in a way that's human and genuinely funny. The 10-Minute Bible Hour podcast is built to welcome new listeners at any time, so you can start from the beginning or jump in with the current episode. Christians from any background, as well as non-Christians who just want to understand the Bible and their Christian friends and family better, will love the show the 10-minute Bible hour podcast. It's the Bible without the sermon. You can find it at www.thetmbh.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. But as we jump in, uh, we make hundreds, if not thousands, you know, decisions a day. And we've already talked about that a little bit. But I want to know, like, what does the Bible have to say about decision making? I know that could be a whole podcast, but it is something that I don't think even someone like me who is a regular Bible reader and studier, mm-hmm. I, we don't really think about it that often. Absolutely. And I think that was part of the impotence for the book
1: was well, this is a bigger deal than we we give it credit for. I think the best way to start with anything is to kind of push it through that that grid of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And so when we think about decisions, we were made, we were created by a triune God who is relational and perfect. And we were placed in the garden and we were made for relationship and, and we were set apart from the rest of Mm -hmm. creation. And we were unique, right? God said, good, 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 good. When he created Adam and Eve, he said, very good. This Mm -hmm. is very good. And we know that that is because we are made in the image of God. We were stamped in his image. We are a sold creation. That means we have a soul. Um, We are made for relationship with God. And part of that idea of having a soul and having a conscience and having moral responsibility is Mm. the idea of decision-making. Animals make decisions, but they don't don't know that they're making decisions. They don't think about how they're thinking about making decisions. They make instinctive decisions. And so we are set apart from the rest of creation with this conscience and this moral compass that is meant to point us to God. And God gave us real decisions to make in the garden. So when you think about Adam and Eve before the fall, okay, before sin has entered the world, God gives them decisions. And they, they seem small to us. Like, name the animals, but it was significant. I don't know. Like, That's
0: a big decision. <laughs> right?
1: Like, oh, copy. I don't know. Tasmanian devil. That's a That's, weird one. That is. I mean, so they, they were given significant responsibility and choice in the garden, right? God said, there's this huge garden and you can choose how you order your day, what kind mm-hmm. of things you're going to plant, how you're going to order the animals, what kind of work you want to do, what kind of beauty you want to cultivate. There was choice in the garden and there was that one big choice right? That God said, Hey, just got one rule for you. There's a tree in the middle of the garden, tree of good and evil. I need you to not eat from that fruit. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you think about the fall through the lens of decision-making mm-hmm. all the fall happened because of a catastrophic decision that was made and it was less about the fruit and more about our hearts. It was, it right. was about, are you going to submit to my authority and trust my nature? know that I am good and trust me, or are you going to fight for autonomy? And, and are you going to grab that authority from me and say, self is going to be the deciding, deciding factor. I will choose. I want to know. And from that moment, everything broke, right? Our, our peace with God broke peace between man and women broke peace, man and women within themselves. And then peace with the earth, everything was shattered. This was not mm-hmm. the way God wanted it to be. And all of that is based on a decision. Mm-hmm. And lest we be too hard in Adam and Eve, they were our federal heads. That means that we would have done the exact <laughs> exactly same right. thing <laughs> and we do it daily. That's we right. did it, you probably did it today and maybe mm-hmm. not in such dramatic fashion, but you said, no, thanks, God, I'll take control over this mm-hmm. or I'll, I'll let my fears run my life rather than your word. And we're making the same choice. Mm-hmm. And so, and then we have throughout, you know, after the fall all the way up until Jesus comes to the earth, we just have a series of God setting up his people for potential to make right decisions. He says, I'm mm-hmm. going to be gracious to you. Moses, sending the, setting the, the law before the people and saying, I'm setting before you this day, life and death, blessing and curse, choose this day who you will serve. Mm-hmm. And then what do we do? we kept choosing the wrong thing. That's what most of the Old Testament is, is God saying, "Hey, here's two paths and us choosing the wrong path." And so that leads us to redemption, which is Christ coming. And this is what's so beautiful is to think about the life of Christ through the lens of choice and decision. Mm-hmm. That one came to this earth. He decided. He chose to step into our broken world, into our brokenness. And every decision that Christ made was always in line with the Father. He did what Adam and Eve failed to do. Mm -hmm. He made every decision, not based on what he felt. Think about the temptation in the garden. It wasn't based on his hunger. It wasn't based on his desire for power or control. It was, this is what my father wants me to do. So I'm going to do it. And he ended up taking our punishment, right? That's Mm -hmm. the gospel. He, even though we have made horrible choices, we get to have the result of his choices and he got the result of ours. And, And then now because of that, That's where the book kind of starts. Those who are in Christ, we now have the indwelling spirit and we are invited into decision-making that honors God. Mm. And that's incredible that God would say, hey, your decisions actually count and they make a difference in the eternal scheme of things. Like that's a privilege. And that's kind of one of the things I wanted to do in the book was to say, hey, we want to move this decision-making thing from a right an entitlement to a a privilege that God has Mm. given us. And also from a problem, like a lot of us just go, oh, this is just a problem. I've just got to solve mm, it yeah. rather than this is a privilege God has given us that is to be stewarded well mm. <laughs> and in great freedom. Like what, what a gift we get to make decisions. So the way I spend my time and my free time, I have a choice. Am, am I going to spend my free time in a way that helps to bring God's kingdom down to this earth or in a way that pleases myself? right? Mm -hmm. Like that makes a huge difference. And so I just think it changes the way we think of the decisions we make. Again, not every decision needs to have this like crazy complex process, like Mm right? Like if you're going to get, like I said, guacamole on the burrito, or if you're going to get a latte or a regular coffee, you don't need to like have this like deep laid out process. It doesn't have to be so complex, Mm -hmm. but there are some decisions where we do need help. We need a process because they have deeper consequences and more eternal lasting consequences than the guacamole or the taco.
0: Right. And I mean, they're just more complex. It's like, I know, in a question that I sent to you, I mean, yeah, we make decisions like what shoes are we going to wear? Okay, I mean, there, there's no wrong choice there, right? right. But even decisions like, what treatment regimen am I going to go with? We're not necessarily even thinking a decision there where God's going to say, oh, that's the wrong decision. Now I'm going to strike you down. No, that's not really what we're talk about, talking about, but it can feel debilitating. Oh, 100%. And so what would you say when we're grappling with this God's sovereignty and God's will when it comes to decision-making
1: oh my goodness yes and that's one of the biggest hurdles right when we Mm -hmm. have when when and if we actually stop and think about decisions where we usually get paralyzed and stuck is that there is this this paradox Mm
0: -hmm. and i'm gonna make the wrong one
1: right the seeming paradox of okay wait i don't understand it and my kids will ask this question kids are so you know kids are so insightful they always ask the right questions yeah like that's profoundly challenging that's an incredible question but so who's really making the decision is if God is sovereign and he's in control mm-hmm. and he orders all things. And we know from the scriptures, not a sparrow falls to the ground without his knowledge. The hairs on our head are numbered. He counts up our tears and keeps them in his bottle. Mm-hmm. He's that kind of sovereign. He, he knows the constellations. He calls out the stars by name and says, hey, come on, get your, get into your spot. Mm-hmm. That's God's sovereign, God's sovereignty. And yet we are responsible. So we struggle with, well, which one is it? It's got to be an either or. So am I just a puppet? Am I just a pawn in decision-making? Because God's really making the decision. So my decisions, if he's just going to do it, I have no part to play. I'll just be a little passive pawn and let him move me. Um, Well, I I would say to that, well, that's putting too much emphasis on God's sovereignty and ignoring man's responsibility. Mm
0: -hmm. But on the
1: other side, put way too much emphasis on man's responsibility. We did college ministry for years and And what that looks like is sitting across the table with people who are literally like coming apart because they're, they're worried about their career path. They're worried about their resume. They're worried about their, which sorority, which fraternity, is this the guy? And they're putting so much emphasis on their internships and on their resume and on their, on all the things that they can do, that they've got to make it, figure it out. They've got to make the right choice. And they've overemphasized man's responsibility and forgotten God's sovereignty. and so. The thing that helped me in the book is one, we're not going to solve this. So like, if you think in this book, we're going to just be like, oh, oh." and now we know (laughs) if, if the brightest minds, if Augustine couldn't figure this out and Calvin and Luther (laughs) and Zwingli and all these, like, if they can't figure this out, I promise you, me and Amber are not figuring this out today. Truth. But, but I just want to stop and go. But can we stop and appreciate Mm -hmm. that our God is so big and so Mm -hmm. infinite that who he is and the way he works, we can't even comprehend it. That's actually a good thing, not a bad thing. Uh, If it was so small and so easy to understand that we could wrap our finite, limited human minds around it then our God would be very small. And our God, you know, Isaiah 55, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, said the Lord. My ways are higher than your ways, just as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways higher than your ways. And so we have a God who's who's infinite and unlimited. And somehow both of these are true at the exact same time. They don't need to be reconciled. They're friends. That's what one of the quotes in the book is that someone came up to to Spurgeon after a sermon and, and said, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And he just giggled and said, I don't reconcile friends. They don't need to be reconciled. There's no That's reconciling right. to be done. And then what helps me too is A. W. Tozier, who's one of my spiritual heroes, he talks about um, he's just he makes truth so simple and accessible. He said, God's sovereignty is one wing. And man's responsibility is another wing. And Mm -hmm. a little birdie who only flaps one wing doesn't go anywhere, but a birdie that learns to flap both wings starts to fly. And so you you just kind of have to ask the question, am I only flapping one wing? Which wing am I over flapping? Mm. Um, So yeah, so just that when we have both God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, it takes some of the, the carelessness- Mm-hmm. or over carefulness out of decision-making. It helps us yeah. to go, okay, God, this is a gift that you've given us. And I don't understand the mystery of how I am actually making a decision, but you are still sovereign over it, but that's mm-hmm. what you say is true. And so I'm just going to worship you. And I'm going to try to make decisions that honor you and bring the kingdom of heaven down to
0: earth. Yes. Oh, I love that. Cause So much of walking with Jesus and just being in community with him is learning to rest in the tension of the unknowns. Yes.
1: Yeah. And we want to solve it. That's that back to the whole,
0: that's a control issue. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's a problem to be solved. I got to figure it out. And if I could just get the right formula. And I think that's what we want. We want a rule book. We want someone to say, here's the, here's the 10 steps to how to discern God's will. And, and God says the whole point of you making decisions is for you to learn to depend on me and to cry out to me and to be intimate and proximate, to be close to me. Um, I I actually love making big decisions with my kids, which sounds weird because sometimes you kind of want to run your head against a wall. Mm -hmm. Um, but because it forces us to have extended time together where I'm trying to understand, help me understand why you feel like you should be on that soccer team or help me understand why you want to be at that high school. Um, I want to understand your heart. I want to see where you're coming from. I want you to understand principles and practices of our family. So there's this beautiful interchange that happens over decisions that I think God is jealous for. He Mm. says, I just want your attention. I want you to dig in my word and search and pray and fast and ask friends because it makes you closer to me. And that's what I want. I want your heart. I want you to walk by faith. Yeah. Um. He's not going to give us the formula. He gives us relationship with him. And he does give us guiding principles in the scripture. But if you think, and like I thought when I was graduating college, I'm just going to search the Proverbs and it's going to say something like, <laughs> um, blessed is the woman who doesn't go into biology, but instead goes into ministry, Um. right? Like, no, this, the scriptures say teaching biology would have been a great career path honors the Lord completely. That's right. Going into full-time ministry. Also, there's not one is better than the other. It's Lord, which one is the one that you're calling me to me to do in this season. Um, And
0: isn't that a bit of a mindset shift? And I feel like what you, say about Western culture, because we're so inundated with, I mean, the simplest um, idea of this is you walk into a grocery store and you don't just have three cereals, you have a whole row full of cereals. Like literally an aisle. It's a mindset shift of making a decision. There's not this one, like you said, is right and God's will And this one is not. And if I make this decision, then for the rest of my life, I am on a path where I will not receive blessing. Like that is not biblical.
1: No, it's not biblical. And a lot of, a lot of people. And I would say, especially I think moms, I think women and moms, especially because our decisions feel like, oh no. I mean, at least when it comes from me with motherhood, you know, if we choose the wrong, if we choose the wrong preschool. Our kids, that's it. Like they're on the wrong track forever and ever. Amen. And I failed them. And um, even little things like little league, like if he's on the wrong team, it's going to change his career path for baseball. You know, it's like, that's ridiculous, but that's the kind of pressure that our culture puts on these decisions. Um, And I would argue that, that the reason that's so crushing is because self was never meant to determine self. Mm. Um, it's putting self in a place that self was never meant to be put so when our culture says to, to you 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 create yourself you do you girl you be whoever you want to be that's not a biblical princi- principle the, the biblical principle is God has made you someone now who has he made you to be and what does he have for you um so I just think the whole self, The decision-making itself at the center is is so toxic, and yet it's so celebrated in our culture. And so the question is, how do we get Christ and his word at the center of a Mm decision-making? And and like you said, so many, one of the things I talk about in the book is is understanding the commands of scripture. So there's three different kinds of law in the scripture. Um, There's ceremonial law, civil law, and moral law. Yep. and people get really to understand those three different laws and which of those still apply to us on the other side of the cross is really significant. Um so really significant. So <laughs> significant. So ceremonial law was all these rules that God established that were purposeful to create his people that were set apart and to help them understand I am a holy God, you are not holy people, there needs to be a blood sacrifice for mm-hmm. sins, it was washing of hands and what clothes they could wear and what foods they could eat. It was all of these things that all were meant to point to Jesus Christ. Yep. And so when we see in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is the great high priest. All of those laws collapsed on him because he fulfilled. That's them. why the veil was torn. Yes. So like there's, so you go. Okay. So those that that had a place, but that is not. That's no longer binding on my life. And right. then there was civil law because there was a time, a season in, in history where God's people were an actual nation. They were a nation, um, right. and they had a ruler and a king, and there were rules that applied to them that don't apply to us because we're no longer trying to be like a nation state. We are God's people. We're the church. We have a more full
0: understanding of
1: what God meant by his church and by his people. And that's where well, we are and in so historical. so many
0: things with civil law is you we just don't notice that we have some civil law now from our own government, because in order for a nation to function, you have to have those things in place. Yes.
1: And, and we know from Peter's letters, Peter says, hey, submit to the magistrates. Like, mm-hmm you know, there's order, order is a good thing. And so when it comes to the scriptures and, and, and decision making, the thing that is binding upon us is the moral uh-huh. law. And yeah. that's the things that Christ said, I came not to abolish this y'all. The law, the moral law is binding upon believers in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so now that being said, God gives us principles of moral law. And he says, these are the kind of people I need you to be. This is the kind of way I want manner. I want you to live your life, but he doesn't tell us now you should live that kind of life. By being a teacher or by, he doesn't give us those specifics. That's, right. there's, that's oh. where the freedom comes in. The freedom is, it's not that one choice is, and there are times where, yes, there's a choice that's evil. If God's word that's is clear exactly on something, yeah.
0: Yeah. that's what I tell people. I'm like, if, you know. Like he doesn't want you to be a prostitute.
1: Right, exactly, or you know, counseling college girls. You know, no, he doesn't want you to live with your boyfriend. Like Mm -hmm. that's not a that's that's clear in the scriptures. (laughs) So we're that's not a decision. The only decision when the scriptures are clear, the only decision to be made is whether I will obey or disobey. Mm -hmm. Now that being said, most of the decisions we make are in a whole different category. They're they're what we call wisdom. Uh, like yeah. Christian liberty and wisdom. There's not a right or wrong answer. Mm-hmm. It's for you to wrestle with before the Lord and say, in light of God's principles, in light of who I am, in light of my circumstances, in light of who my family is, Lord, give me wisdom on what decision is best. And that's where we kind of get really turned around sometimes with God's will. So there's this point in Thessalonians, Paul Paul is speaking to the church and he has this where He says, this is God's will for you. And I can imagine them kind of stopping with like mic drop moment, right? I know that's anachronistic, but you know, grab grab the scroll. He's about to tell us what God's will is for us, church in Thessalonica. And he says,
0: it's God's will for you to be sanctified. Hmm. That's God's will for us. Until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the other part of that. That's the
1: part, right? (laughs) He said, I want you to look like me. I want you to think like me. I mean, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you have been given the mind of Christ. You have, through the Holy Spirit, access to think the way even God himself thinks as a human. Like, that's crazy. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what Paul talks about. He says, that's what I want for you. And I we don't believe be- it,
0: Amy. We don't believe it. I'm sorry we that don't. I keep interrupting because this is something no. for me that I'm super passionate about, but even like a little bit of a lost art of just slowing down asking God what he wants you to do and then listening. Yes. Well, we were just talking about at our church last night,
1: Isaiah 50 verse four, the Lord wakens me morning by morning. He gives me the ear of a disciple that I might know how to sustain a weary one with the word. Mm. He says, I want you to be so close to walking to your, the idea is this, stay close. To the shepherd, learn his voice. John ten, Jesus says, "I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. They they hear my voice, and they follow me." And we have, you know, when we think about God's word, we always say, "Oh, I want to hear God's voice. We want God to skywrite it. We want to hear audible words from God." We have the words of life in the scriptures. When, when, when Peter says to Christ, Christ says to, to Peter and John, Hey, everyone was walking away from him because it was getting hard. And the scriptures were getting, the commands were getting heavy. And he says, are y'all going to leave too? And Peter has this moment of brilliance from the spirit. He says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We have God's word. We have his Hebrews for his living and active word, sharper than a double-edged sword. It can pierce through our motivations and help us see what is selfish and what is wisdom. That's what we have in the scripture. So we have as, as the Bible says, everything that we need for life and for godliness Mm -hmm. in in the scriptures. Now, does that mean that this, the scripture is going to decide for me where my child should go to college? No, No, but it's going to give me all I need to be able to make that decision in a way that conforms me and him to the image of Christ. And we forget this part too. We want clarity when it comes to decision-making, we just scream out, God, give me clarity, make it clear, make it clear. And at the end of the day, God wants us to be people who walk by faith. <laughs> he wants us to be pe- without faith. Oh, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we remind our kids and ourselves all the time. If we make a decision to go to this school, it is by faith. If we make a decision to stay at this school, it is by faith. If we make a decision to move uh, from college ministry and start church planting, it is by faith. If we make a decision to stay in college ministry, it is by faith. Mm-hmm. When we make decisions, either way, it's by faith. And so when we demand from God clarity. He's probably not going to give it to us because what he wants for us to do is to walk by faith. He wants us to say, I trust you. Proverbs three, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not, rely not on your own understanding in all of your ways. Acknowledge me and who will make your path straight. says, I will make your path straight. You don't make your path straight. I make your path straight. So it's just, we get really turned around sometimes. And again, we have a part to play we lay out our choices before the Lord. We search our hearts. We ask trusted trespassers, friends who, who know the gospel and know us. What are my blind spots? What am I missing? Um, What, what, what insight do you have based on knowing my life, knowing my sin, knowing my tendencies? What would you say to me in this situation? There's so much that we can do, but at the end of the day, It is God's will for us that we look like him and we act like him and we walk in holiness. And then we say, well, where can I best do that? In what environment can I best do that? At what church can I best do that? At what school can my kids best do that? And there's always going to be an element of faith. We're never going to get to this point of full clarity.
0: And that best is not always pain-free, happy, ending, Amen. Amen. right? Like that's the sanctification process. And oh, that's that's pilgrim's progress too, like just you know you read it and you totally get it the older you get because it's like i've never met a married couple who said i'm the same person and my husband Mm -hmm. is the same person that i married 45 years ago Mm -hmm. well if you do something's not right because that's (laughs) That's not the sanctification (laughs) process of god we make decisions, and just because things go wrong don't may, mean that it was the wrong decision.
1: And that's what happens We when on the other side of decision-making. We say, oh, well, if, things, if it's hard, I must have made a wrong choice. And no, and, and <laughs> no, no. Well, and I love, you know, Elizabeth Elliot. Do, do not dig up and doubt what you planted in faith. I yeah. love that quote. Like, if you made a decision by faith, you say, okay, we put our hand to the plow, we make our decisions, and we keep our gaze on you. And I love that, like, you know, we, we want to have Mm, these um, trouble-free lives. And and what does John say? He says, or Jesus say, he says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world and I will give you peace. Mm -hmm. my peace i leave with you peace i give to you not as the world gives give i give i unto you i just think that's such a good word of just because it's hard does not Mm -hmm. mean it's not god's will for you and so when you Mm -hmm. start to doubt oh satan would love to just dig in there and and plant seeds of regret rather than saying lord i made that decision we prayed we fasted we we sought counsel we made the best decision we could make in light of what we knew as limited creatures who Mm -hmm. don't have all perspectives now We're going to plant that seed and we're going to trust you with it, that you're going to do. And and God, you can redirect and course correct. And I think that, that helps me that idea of course correction rather than you said it earlier. Sometimes we get this idea of I make this decision or this decision and then that's it. I'm on a course and and they're going opposite ways. And God says, no, it's a course correction thing. Like as you're moving, I, I can say a little tweak here. Like, yeah, I think that's good, but let maybe let's evaluate this kid. Like, you know, we say for school decisions, each kid, each year, Mm -hmm. um, it's a different situation every year. So could you, Lord, would you of course correct us? Lord, what mm-hmm. would you have us do? And um, but you see how that's different. It's, it's an con- ongoing process with the Lord. It's not this, yes. we did it and now we're done. It's a daily walking with God yeah. and saying, okay, Lord, what would you have us do? And, and, uh, you know, one of my favorite questions I ask the Lord every morning is Lord today, what is mine to do? What's mm-hmm. mine to do today? What's not mine to do today? There's a lot of things that are not mine to do that I want to pick up and do in haste or because the world says I should, or because the PTA says I should, or Lord, what is mine to do? And that requires proximity to Jesus, knowledge of his word, daily discipline, a vital connection with God, which no one wants to hear because that's the. The answer is walking with Jesus. And people yeah. want this like one day know, at a time moment. Yeah. And the Lord says, no, I I will. I will. Oh, there's a beautiful um, hymn that I love. I will not have a restless heart that hurries to and fro, seeking for some thing to do or secret thing to know. I would be treated as a child and guided as I go. Mm. I love that. Like it's a day by day. I'm holding your hand, Lord. Where are we going? It just, it just feels like a weight taken off when you start to think of decision-making like that, rather than this is the end all be all, and I'm going to mess it up. And if you think that your decision and we make bad decisions, so we need to talk about that because that's That's real. We make poor decisions and we need to learn from them because there are real consequences. Grace does not negate consequences. No. So good. God is God is not mad at us he he's forgiven us but he will teach us through natural consequences yep. of our decisions and that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us it means he loves us so much that he's training us because this earth isn't all there is mm-hmm. everything you know uh, poet Emily Dickinson says earth is the vestibule to heaven and so all of this life is just preparation for what is coming and he says mm-hmm. i'm making you into someone like me yeah. i'm making you into the sanctified version of Amber or the sanctified version of Amy, the sanctified version of G Joe or whomever. And, and you're going to learn because I want you to be the kind of person that's going to live on with me into eternity. Yeah. I don't take my work lightly. So we're going to learn from our consequences, but my identity is not determined by those consequences. My identity is determined by the choices and consequences of Christ. And that frees us to go. I have so much to learn, but I'm secure. I'm secure. If I make a mistake, Um, because God is still with me and the God of the universe can direct and and sovereignly use his providential hands to steer and to guide us. So you think of people like Joseph from the scriptures. I mean, talk about a series of horrible decisions. He flaunts, the dad is is showing favoritism, gives him the, the robe. Joseph chooses to flaunt the robe and taunt his brothers, knowing that he's the favorite. They then choose to say, we're going to kill him. And then they're like, no, nah, never mind. We'll just throw him in a ditch. We'll sell him to some slave traders. I mean, there's a series of horrible decisions that are shaped, that shape that man's life. And what do we see in Genesis? At the end of it, we see God, we see Joseph able to say and mean, you meant it for evil brothers, but God worked God it for good. For good. Yeah. And so, you know, that's a, it's a serious thing to, because to, when I talk to women about choices, we experience the consequences of our own choices, but we also live the consequences of other people's choices. And when you do. think about things like abuse mm-hmm. um, or trauma, addiction, you, your mm-hmm. addiction, you are, you are experiencing the fruit of someone else's consequences. And that can feel unfair sometimes. That's right. It can feel like, Lord, where are you in these things? And, and I just would say, you know, Romans eight, 28 through 32, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And Romans 8:32, uh, he who did not withhold his only son but freely gave him for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things. So when we when we're confused about the hand of what God is doing, we can trust his heart. We know mm-hmm. his heart because his heart is the kind of, of God that came and died for us. So his intentions are not to harm us, even though our circumstances sometimes feel like that.
0: Well, and I always encourage people too. like we want, particularly if you are a Christian who, you know, we're training our children. We want to teach our kids now, Romans eight twenty eight, And we want to be very, very careful about putting that off on people when they're in the moment. And we only use it as a mantra. Because while that is true, one of the best things is the life of Joseph. God works all things together for good, but it was decades for him. And he lived in, well, he lived in prison, basically right. dungeon back then. I mean, our prisons are fancy compared to what he lived They're in. They're vacation, right? man. They're like luxury. Like, like you get, yeah, you get three meals and you can like read books and stuff. Um, And so it doesn't mean God works all things together for good. It might be a while before that shows up in your life. Yes. And I,
1: I, I love that reminder, Amber, because when we read even the Psalms, I always tell oh, people, yeah. I'm like, or you know, I think of Ab- I've been studying Abraham and Sarah this week, and you go, you read, you know, five pages between God says, "Hey, leave everything you know, old couple," yes. and wander through the desert to a land you don't know. We read that, and then you know, five six pages That's later, right. a couple chapters later, they have a son. That was their entire life. That's right.
0: That's <laughs> like right. There was there
1: was like forty years in there of wrestling, and it did not always feel like. God was delivering on his promises. And so we've got to give the freedom of, we read the lines, even in the Psalms, like, you you know, a lot of the Psalms are David complaining, admitting something that's hard in his life or in his heart. And then there's the shift and then ends on hope. Not all of them, but But a lot of them. them, a lot of them do. Right and we read the line by line and i'm like you don't know how much life happened between those lines it might have been seven to eight months it might have been three years yeah that in his experience he's he's looking back on something and and putting Mm. it into a poetic form but he lived that and it wasn't
0: neat and it wasn't pretty Um, and that's the majority of the people in the bible that's moses i mean it's even easy to look at paul and be like oh he had his desert i mean his um road to damascus experience and i'm like but how long did he kill people before that happened and then he was persecuted for how many years, you know? I mean, oh, yeah. so it's not just, yes, he came to know Jesus in a moment, but there was a lot of stuff that happened before and after. Yes. And I
1: think that's so important to have right perspective on the Christian life because we just so easily buy into the lie. And, and I think we forget this, this world is not home. We are mm-hmm. exiles and strangers on this earth, um, that there is wrestling, there's struggle that the, the Christian life is struggle. Mm-hmm. That's the Christian life. And, and we want it to be victory. And it is victory in Christ. Well, yeah, you can have joy
0: and struggle at the same yes. time. Like, that's the thing, too. It's like, that's life, both. Like, you can be, yep. it's a great example. My friend, Cindy, she just, her mom passed away last, two weeks ago. Mm. Her daughter was supposed to have a gender reveal party on the night mm. that her mom passed, well, her like the morning of, right? And her her daughter was like, mom, we shouldn't do this. And she's like, no, we will absolutely do this because this is life. Deep grief and deep joy go hand in hand. Mm. We don't have to act like we can't be joyful over this because we're deeply grieving this. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is it. Well, and that's what Paul said, right?
1: Pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. And and Second Corinthians four, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being Being renewed renewed. day by day, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's like, before we set our eyes not on that which is seen, but that which is unseen, Mm because that which is seen is temporary, that which is unseen is eternal. And so you're hitting on, and you said it earlier, the tensions and the paradoxes of the Christian life, and and we talk about this. Our you know our some of our mentors always talk about like continue walking on the tightrope and, you know, you, you're always going to, you're going to, you're going to flop off one way or the other and you, and you got to, or the horse, you know, you got to keep in the tension and you're going to fall off one way. And then you just get back on the horse and you keep going. That's right. And, and the tightrope walking on the tension, uh, the image that helped me the most was, you know, supposedly I've never tightrope walked and I never will because I'm not coordinated, <laughs> but supposedly when people are training to tightrope walk, you know, they have, they start with the balance, right? That's right. They, they start hold with the, the pole. Mm-hmm. And so the longer the stick, the easier it is to stay on. Oh, so the, interesting. the Lord just has, has given me this image of we have, a, we have a balancing stick. It goes all the way back into before there was time and all the way into, into the new heavens and the new earth. If we can hang on to both of those things, we're going to be able to balance this tension of the Christian life. And And if we, if we don't have that long of a rod, we won't, I we know. won't. If it's we're not so living true. in deep time, right? And and God is sovereign over all these these things. He's planned our days before any of them came to be. And he's taking us to a place where there's no more tears, no more sadness, no more sin, no more confusion, no more selfish ambition. All of that will be taken away. And we will only make choices that please the
0: Lord. That's so cool. That is so cool. That That's is where so we're cool. headed. I know. I know. I That's was reading. where we're going. We're studying Revelation right now. And, whew, girl, I need to get out of Revelation for a while. Because, you know, it, it it can be hard, right? Oh, we're yes, we're in Revelation 21 now. So I'm good. <laughs> you finally got you finally got to that. Oh, really? That's right. <laughs> but anyways, I mean, when it talks about like serving God forever, uh, yes. you know, what what comes up in my mind at first with service, though, is drudgery, right? Because mm-hmm. service oh. can be hard. And as a mama, sometimes it's not very happy. And so I was like, but that's the thing. We are going to do that with such purity and joy that it, 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 my mind can't even fathom that. No,
1: because we're so used to this broken world and our sin. That's and right. the idea that I won't have to struggle with making a poor decision or a sinful decision. I'll only make decisions that please you. Yes. I'll live the way Jesus lived. It helps us to understand that our decision-making now is practice. That's right. It's, it's making us into the kind of people that God would have us Mm. be, which is his sons and daughters who look and act and think like him. And like you said, that happens through the the hard daily process of sanctification. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always feel lovely, but God is working. God is working. And I love C.S. Lewis in his um, essay, The Weight of Glory. He's talking about, you know, all these things that are awaiting us in glory and how, The most common person is gonna is gonna be someone so beautiful you'd be tempted to worship them if you saw them now, and then he ends with this. But the cross comes before the crown, and tomorrow is a Monday morning. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) You know, I say that all the time. I'm like, but so yeah, Revelation 21, Isaiah 35. Where Mm. are we headed? You know, um, swords into plowshares. That's where we're headed in light of all that's happening in our world right now. There's gonna be a day of peace, and then he says. But the cross comes before the crown, and tomorrow is a Tuesday morning in light right. of saving Monday. You know, like, we've, we've got more work to do back to battle because yeah. rest is coming. That's rest right. Is That's coming. so true.
0: Have you heard of the Dwell Bible app? It is inspired by the psalmist who encourages us in Psalm 119 to hide God's word in our hearts. And I found one of the best ways to do that is by listening to God's word on the Dwell Bible app. One of the coolest things about Dwell is their new read-along experience. If you've ever seen Apple Music or Amazon Music's lyrics feature, then that's exactly what you can expect from the read-along at Dwell. Big bold text accompanied with beautiful backgrounds that scrolls as the narrator reads to you. I love Dwell's variety from translation choices to daily Bible reading plans, to scripture playlists that speak into your mood or current life situation. My favorite thing about Dwell is being able to search a specific word or topic that I want to dig into and then immediately listening to those scriptures. It's easy to use and enhances my time spent in God's word. Today, we're offering a discount. Go to dwellapp.io slash graceenough to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 30% off Dwell for Life. That's dwellapp.io slash graceenough or see the link in our show notes. Start committing to scripture for the rest of this year or for life with the Dwell Bible app. Well, and tell me this, because something that you also write about in the book is gathering pieces in preparation Mm. to make a decision. And so you kind of liken that to a puzzle. Will you share a little bit of that with us just for those people who are like kind of really struggle with a decision making and, and were fearful of making that wrong decision?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I had a mentor, um, when I was, I was teaching high school out first year out of college and I was wrestling with what, am I doing the right thing? Is this right? And then I was dating a guy that I was like, is this the guy I'm going to marry? And, and he just, I was so overwhelmed. And so in the, in the copy room, we still had coffee machines back then y'all, um, in the copy room, he would always say, Hey, what's, I would get so overwhelmed about the big picture. And he would just say, what's one thing you learned this week. What's mm. one thing you learned about yourself this week, Amy? And I'd be like, nothing. And He's like, Oh, I have one, I saw you come alive when you were doing devotion with your kids and fall asleep when you were doing Krebs cycle. I think you really like to teach the Bible. I'm not sure you like to teach biology. You know, so it was, but it's so so often we want to rush the decision-making process. And I think it's more of a slow process where God's saying, I'm gathering information for you. You're gathering information about who you are and the things that fuel you and the things that don't fuel you and, and your particular sin struggles. And so once we gather the pieces it's pretty easy to put together the puzzle which is why most of us when we finally come to a calling decision we say i think i'm gonna do this i was walking with a girl the other day and i've known her for oh goodness eight years we've we've been in discipling friendship and um she was like i think i'm gonna go back to school to be um to be a, a counselor in school and i was like Oh my goodness. Yes. That's it. That's totally it. It's like the nose in front of your face. Why didn't we see it beforehand? Mm -hmm. But it was all, it took all those years to gather all the pieces and all these different experiences and jobs and in ministry and outside of ministry for her to go. Now I'm seeing the pieces and it's so clear to me obviously this is what God is wanting for me to do, you know, with, for the next 20 years, but we want that when we're 18, we want it right now. We want someone to just give it to us. And God says, no, you're going to learn. You're going to gather pieces through real experience in real time and real relationship. So it helps when we're making decisions to gather pieces and to know that the information comes in little pieces, but also some of the things that I think you have to gather are, you have to say, what are my passions? What are my priorities? What are the circumstances that God has put around me, yeah, and what right are the now. opportunities that God is presenting before me right now? Um, because when you have those different pieces in place, you're going to start to go, "Oh, okay, this makes sense." I like, for example, I would say when um, we were early, early in our marriage, I really thought for a little season there that I wanted to maybe be a genetic counselor, use my biology degree, and and have a, a Christian influence in a place where a lot of people say, well, your child has a genetic disorder, you should abort. And to say no, to offer them, Hey, this is what God says about your child. And so Mm -hmm. I thought this makes perfect sense. It fits for who I am. It fits my gifting. So it was checking all the boxes. But then when it came to my actual circumstances and and potential opportunities, well, I just had a baby. I was about to have another. My husband was in full-time ministry, and there wasn't a genetic counseling school within five states of us. Mm -hmm. So the Lord said, no, even Mm -hmm. though it fit my passions and my priorities at the time, it it wasn't coming up in present circumstances. It wasn't possible. And my marriage prohibited it in the sense of I was following my husband's call into ministry and it just didn't work. And so God used that. I'm so thankful. I did looking back. I would not have been a good genetic counselor, but God uses that. So when we can gather information about our passions, our priorities in each season, because you know, our our world says, Exactly. And our world says, whatever makes you happy, whatever, you know, your gifts are. And yes, there are seasons when God absolutely lets us operate out of our gifts. There are also seasons where we operate out of weakness. Mm -hmm. And he says, your priority in the season is to do something that's really hard for you. Those early mothering years were grueling for me, not because I didn't love my kids, but because I'm a driven type, a busy person. And I love intellectual academia. And I was like, I'm, I'm losing my mind with the Wiggles. I can't anymore with the Wiggles. If I hear any, you know, I wanted to have adult intellectual conversation and I was operating out of weakness, but I, it wasn't about my passions in that season. It was, this is the priority. Mm-hmm. This service. is what I want. This is what I God is telling me to do. I know it is right. It's what I want to do in my heart. But it doesn't always align with my passions, this is not easy. Um, and so those are some of the pieces that I think it helps to consider and then also what opportunities is he opening up so for example, we, you know, I have a little bit, a little bit more free time, because my, my boys are all in school and the, during the day. So how do I use my time. There's so many needs in San Diego well, God Mm -hmm. just keeps bringing these Afghani refugee families to Mm -hmm. literally to the park down the street or like almost to my doorstep. Everywhere Mm -hmm. I go, I see them. So I'm like, it's so obvious to me. Okay, Lord, I can't worry about what's happening in the Ukraine. And I can't, do all of the ministries that are a potential in this city, but it seems like you keep putting before me Afghani refugees. And so I'm going to lean into that because you are literally setting them before me. Mm -hmm. And so that it's not that God's not pleased with the 20 other options. It's just, he keeps placing me around these other people. So it's, it's again, it's not, it's more art than science. I Mm -hmm. think this decision-making thing,
0: like if you're a friend Of someone, I love what you said that, um, I don't know if you said it was another teacher at your school and you mentioned something earlier as well. And it just made me think about like, if you're a person who's really close with someone don't miss those little opportunities Mm -hmm. to point out things like, well, this is what I see in you. Mm -hmm. Or like, I just was having a conversation with a friend a few weeks ago, and she was talking about a job. And I said, but what you told me last week was that right now, you know, that you should not be in full time work. She was like, you're right. You're right. And I'm like, I'm not saying that to tell you, you shouldn't. I just want to remind you that it might not be the time. And so just consider those things. So if you, you know, be that friend to somebody. Absolutely. And we so need, and again, our culture is so individualistic. Yeah. Oh my
1: goodness. We need other eyes in our lives because we get so myopic and we can't see, we can't see our blind spots. And, and I love that. Like we so desperately need, I think, especially as women to just be encouraged for someone to say, Hey, I see you coming alive when you do this. Yeah. I think that you are really pushing through, but I, I just see you totally drained when you do this. I'm wondering long-term if this is a really good choice because you, you know, for example, a friend that was going into sales and I just thought she's an introvert. She likes ideas. Suck her she doesn't like to initiate. And I was like, all sales is an issue. So we sat down and said, hey, I mean, I know this is a good opportunity. I know you're excited. And I know you've been out of work and you're really... But I'm just wondering in line of who you are, if this is really going to be a good fit and maybe we should wait and keep trusting the Lord. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just having that interaction with people, because we don't, we don't see all angles and we, we desperately doubt our, we doubt ourselves. We doubt what God's done and we need to be reminded. So I love that encouragement just to be a a friend who exhorts and admonishes and challenges and
0: encourages. Yeah. And pays attention, like just pay attention, right? You know, I mean, it's so easy sometimes to miss that, but we know we know sometimes we get those little check in our spirit of like, okay, maybe I should just say mm-hmm. something right now. Or uh, I help lead a middle school small group, and what a great age to just you know, because they're so insecure, right? Like oh, God love their little hearts; so they build. just don't know. And does <laughs> this person gonna like me tomorrow? And you know, my body's cha-, all the things, oh, right? Oh yes. And I mean, sometimes just somebody to look at them and say. But you know what I saw in you is I saw you walk in and sit beside that girl and ask her a question about herself. And that's being a good friend to somebody. You know, those kinds of things like take the time to speak that over people's lives. It's so valuable. Like you will never see it, but it is.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so valuable. And and we're made for relationships. Yeah. Like we said earlier, we're made in the image of a triune God who is relational and, and we cannot do this alone. And everything in our culture says, figure it out yourself and do this in isolation. And that's why one of the things I talk about in the book is just the the significance of the local church. You can listen to some great, I mean, I have a favorite, a favorite sermon by Tim Keller about God's guidance. It's great, but Mm -hmm. Tim Keller, no offense to him. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know my sin. He doesn't know my kids. He doesn't know my circumstances. He doesn't know Southern California the way we do, but the people in my local church do. That's right. And they can press nuanced wisdom and they can walk and not just give me some principles, but walk with me Mm -hmm. through the process because it's more about the process than about the product. God cares far more about how we make our decisions sometimes than the decisions that we're making. Truth. Um, he says, I want you to get there with others through faith, with open mm-hmm. hands, without haste in community, right? That yeah. he's like, that makes my heart smile. When I see that, when I see the friends talking, wrestling, praying, fasting, searching the scriptures, I care more about that than whether you end up at, at Apple or uh, Google, <laughs> you know, or, or Packard bell, you know, That's or right. if you I end should... up coding or you end up selling real estate. Like, I know. The Lord is way more concerned with how we got to that. It's more about the the way we make the decision sometimes than the decision itself. Well, let's
0: close with this. Will you speak directly to the person who may be experiencing regret or doubt over a decision that they've already made? You know, how would you encourage them?
1: Yes, I think that's great because my husband was just reading a statistic the other day for his sermon and he said that 90% and it was like Huffington Post. So who knows how they came to the the numbers, but either way, it was an alarmingly high number. 90% of adults struggle with massive Massive regret, not like smart, massive life altering regret. I would say first, there's great hope in Christ. Oh my goodness, there's great hope in Christ. Um, that you are not the sum of your decisions, you are the sum of Christ's decisions, and that is freeing. You are hidden in Christ. I love it, I think it was Calvin said that the gospel is Christ himself wrapped in the gospel. Like you get him, all of him, and you're you're cloaked in his righteousness. One two, I would say this, um, when Thomas, whose poor guy is known as doubting Thomas. I mean, who wants to be known as their sin struggle for the rest of their life? Like, I'm like, he was a really faithful guy for a lot of ways. Um, but when doubting Thomas
0: and he's the only one who touched the hands of Christ.
1: Right. I mean, like we give him a bad rap, but that's beside the point. Um, when Thomas comes to him and and they're kind of upper room discourse, Jesus is talking about all these things and and they're just not getting it. He's like, show us the father and we'll be fine. And Jesus is like, I mean, this is three years in y'all. He's like, y'all, I've been telling you, if you see me, you see the father. Yeah. And there's this point where Thomas is like overcome. He's like, oh Lord, what are we going to do? And Jesus says, from now on, Thomas, doesn't matter. Yeah. You missed it 20 times from now on. Follow me from now on walk in faith from now on. And so I just think that idea of from now on, like I, I'll do that with my, you know, decisions. Oh, Lord, I mean, okay. I confess it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've sifted through the difference between condemnation and conviction. Mm -hmm. Um, second Corinthians seven is a great place to go for that. Oh no, sorry. First Corinthians seven. Um, the difference between conviction and condemnation conviction is always general. Um, it's always self-loathing. It starts itself and leads back to self and it leads to despair and hopelessness. So I'm a, I'm a terrible mom. I made Mm -hmm. terrible decisions. Those are very general terms. Mm -hmm. That's condemnation, not conviction. Conviction is always specific. It's spirit led. It leads Mm -hmm. to godly sorrow and it leads us back to Christ and it fills us with joy. Um, so conviction in the moment might not feel fun, but it's, I shouldn't have said that to so-and-so I'm going to confess that and I'm going to make it right or not. I'm a horrible person. I failed at my life. I can't do anything right. That's condemnation versus, you know what? When I was 22, I made a really poor decision. Mm -hmm. Lord, I've confessed it. You've forgiven it. You've paid for it. I am no longer bound to that. I am a new creation in Christ. And now I walk, I keep walk. keep my eyes on you, Jesus, keep walking. And then the third thought is um, just from the book, the Chronicles of Narnia, there's, you know, Edmund makes a big, big mistake, Turkish delight, white witch, the whole thing, <laughs> whole thing. And, um, and there's this point at the end where he has been reconciled. He's been reconciled to his brothers and sisters. And he's He's reconciled through Aslan and, and everyone's whispering. The white witch is whispering. The whole crowds are looking. And I'm yep. like, there's Edmund. He caused this whole stone table moment. Yeah. All was caused by Edmund. That's a lot of regret. And Aslan just keeps saying, just look at me. Just keep looking at me. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. Just keep looking. Listen to me. Listen to me. Don't listen to their voices. You listen to me. I just love that gentle Aslan saying, yeah, mm-hmm. this was real. There were real consequences That's taken care of. Look at me listen to me. And and then I would say we can learn from our bad mistakes. We can learn from our mistakes. So I would say, what, what are some things I've learned from that decision that I can take forward into the next decision? Mm -hmm. Um, what, yeah, what got me there? We always say, what, what was the sin before the sin or what were the little decisions that led to that decision? Mm -hmm. Um, And what could you have done differently? If you could go back and do that differently, what would you do?
0: Yeah. And the one thing the enemy loves more than anything else is to keep you wallowing around in that condemnation. And so it's like Caroline Saunders in her better than life study, actually for middle school and high school girls. She's like, you know, the reason we study God's word is not so that his affection grows for us, but that our affection grows for him. Yes. yes, And it's like, Our decisions doesn't change his affection for us. Yes, we may experience consequences. But at the end of the day, like you said, confession and change of behavior, those are things that just are obedience to him. It does not change his love for us.
1: Nope, we don't, we don't change for, we change from the gospel, right? right? We change from the gospel. He's already, so those are the things that And we just have to, we have to do that daily. Yes. Like I wish it was just a quick, oh, I I believe that. It's like, no, this is an ongoing Mm -hmm. choice of I'm not going to walk in condemnation. I'm going to walk in conviction and I'm going to walk in the freedom of, hey, you know, what does Jesus say about, about the enemy? He says he's a liar. He's -hmm. the father of lies. His native tongue is lie. He's an accuser. Mm -hmm. And so when the accuser comes, we say there is therefore now no condemnation Romans eight for those who are in Christ Christ Jesus, Jesus. no condemnation for me. I don't walk in condemnation and Christ is working these things for good. And then learn from your mistakes and teach others from your mistakes. That's right. Teach others say, I listen, this is what I did. And I wish I hadn't done. Mm -hmm. Please learn from my wisdom and my mistakes, not to to do that.
0: That's, right. And, and that's I just... right. So the book is demystifying decision making. And if someone wants to connect with you, where can they best find you?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I'm not on Instagram or anything Good like that. For I'm, you. I'm, I'm on Facebook and that's about it. Me, It's like me and the grandma's on Facebook. That's cool. And I have a blog. I think it's amyjoseph.blog. So I write pretty regularly there, like once or twice a week. Awesome. Um Yeah. And it's A-I-M-E-E. So
0: people will know, but I'll put it in the show notes. Yes.
1: Yes. It's a weird, it's a weird spelling. (laughs) Thank you so
0: much for being here today, Amy.
1: Oh, it was such a joy. It's such a fun way to meet you and really appreciate it.
0: So did that conversation make you feel energized? Connecting with fellow Jesus followers over the word of God does that for me. And I pray that it does that for you. I hope you'll share this conversation with your friends and gather with them to talk about what God says about decision-making, or better yet, talk about any topic through the lens of His Word. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time!